Good morning. Let's prepare our hearts for the reading of the gospel. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Thanks, Jeannie. When you think of God, what picture comes to your mind? Or maybe I should ask it like this. What pictures come to your mind? Because obviously the Bible uses lots of different imagery for describing God. He's a king. He's a judge. He's a friend. He's a warrior. He's a savior. There's lots of different metaphors God uses to describe himself. But did you know that Jesus has one in particular that he really wants to come to the forefront of your mind? One in particular that he wants to be the basis of how you relate to God. And that's the picture of God as father. God is Father. Now, that can be a really big problem for some of you um, because you grew up with a dad who was distant, maybe a dad who was entirely absent. You never knew your dad. Um, or worst of all, probably, a dad who was abusive. I remember reading one book, and the author said he spent years, decades, trying to scrape the face of his dad off the face of God. Maybe some of you would say, yeah, that's my story, too. And for others of you, this is like the most natural progression ever because you had a great relationship with your dad. And so to think of God as father just produces all kinds of great imagery. And it's, it's a really natural, easy connection. Whatever it is for you, approaching God as father is one of the greatest keys to growing your prayer life, which is what Jesus is going to be teaching us about today. Now, before we jump into his teaching, right out of the gate, we see that Jesus' disciples ask him how to pray, which that's kind of unusual, isn't it? 
Um, these are a bunch of Jewish guys who had grown up praying all their life. So it seems interesting that they would say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. We, you know, they've been doing it all their lives. But clearly when they saw Jesus pray, there was something different. There was something they didn't have a connection piece that they were missing. And that should tell us that prayer is something we learn to do. Nobody's born knowing how to pray. We must be taught. And I'm hoping that gives you loads of grace in your prayer life, even today, no matter where you're at, to say, okay, I can try. I can fail, whatever that means. I can, I can experiment. I can um, try lots of different things when it comes to this because you're learning. And that's one of the best things about learning to do something is you don't have to be perfect at it, ever. And we are learning to pray our whole lives, and nothing could be more worthwhile than spending time learning to pray. Richard Foster says in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, it is the discipline of prayer itself that brings us into the deepest and highest work of the human spirit. Real prayer is life-creating and life-changing. The deepest and highest work of the human spirit. William Carey said, prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer, lies at the root of all personal godliness. So prayer is this massive, super important discipline that Christians learn to do over the course of their lives. They're not born doing it um, perfectly. They never, ever get it perfect, but we're invited to learn and to grow into it over the course of our lives. Now, when Jesus sets out to teach his disciples how to pray, I want you to notice how he bookends this passage, how he starts it and finishes it. He starts and finishes by encouraging his disciples to approach God the way he does, as their father. Of all the pictures and metaphors, king and savior and warrior and judge, all those things that he could have said, approach God as master, Jesus says, I want you to come to him like I do, as your father. So when we pray, we're to pray to our father. And this would have been a radical shift for Jesus' Jewish audience as well, because you'll remember, Jesus got in trouble for calling God his father. You remember that? The, the religious leaders got after him for that. And there are a few Old Testament passages where God refers to himself as the father of Israel, but Jewish people in general would have been very hesitant to say, God is my father personally. That language was just way too familiar. It would have been uncomfortable for them. And so there's a big shift for these, these people Jesus is talking to, and perhaps a big shift for us here too. I don't know about you, but I've actually been taught to pray this way over the course of my life, and still... I find a hesitancy in my approach to God. You know, often I find myself feeling feelings of guilt or feelings of I'm not worthy to approach God in this way or can that really be true? Isn't that too good to be true that God is my father? Right out of the gate, Jesus is addressing all of our internal struggles by saying this is the big premise shift you need to make. You need to pray to God as father. And here's the big idea. There are really two kinds of relationships in the world. There are business relationships and there's family relationships. And this is what Jesus is getting at here. Business relationships are based completely on performance. It's the relationship you have with the person that cuts your hair. Or the relationship you have with the person that fixes your car. Or whatever. It's, it's the relationship that says, look, I'm here as long as you meet my needs. As long as you perform up to my standard. And the moment you stop, that's when I'm going to go elsewhere. The moment I get a better deal, that's when I'm going to go elsewhere. Right? So perform, it's entirely based on performance. And business relationships should be that way. Right? That's what, that's what creates good business relationships. Nothing wrong with that. But it's very different from a family relationship. Because in a family relationship, it says, look, I'm committed to you regardless of your performance. 
Family relationships are not about what you're doing. They're way more about who you are, right? And we see this especially true in really dysfunctional families. Um, I used to do quite a bit of marriage and family counseling. And one thing that was always fascinating to me is some of the most dysfunctional families put forward the most effort to try to get together with each other. Right? Some of you who are in the counseling profession know that. And you're kind of like, at some point, why don't you just give up? <laughs> why don't you just be like, hey, we don't get along, so let's just give up. But they'll tell you, well, hey, we're family. We're family, right? So we're going we're gonna to keep working at this thing. We're going to keep trying to, to come up with some semblance of relationship. And that's precisely the truth. Everyone knows instinctively if there's one place you should be loved, even with all your faults, it's your family. That's the place you can really let your hair down. That's the place you can really be truly known and valued and loved, even with all your warts, even with all your mess. Now, that doesn't mean the members of your family don't want you to change, right? They definitely want you to change. They might want you to change more than anybody else in the world. That just means that they're committed to loving you the entire way during the process, and they don't say, look, we're going to ditch out on you if you don't change quickly enough, right? That's what it means to be in a family relationship. Do you see the difference between the two? One is based completely on performance. The other one is based completely on who you are. And they couldn't be any more different from each other. They're as far from each other as the East is from the West. It might seem like a subtle difference, but what Jesus is saying here is the key to you unlocking a really deep and rich prayer life is saying when you're coming to God, you're not coming to a business relationship. You're coming to a family relationship. You're coming to a relationship that is not based on your performance. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying God's not going to leave you if you don't perform. He's saying God is committed to you not because of what you do, but because of who he said you are in Christ. And that will radically change how you go to him. Now, how many of you find that you're approaching God as, as if he's family versus the business relationship? I find that I'm kind of a, a mix you know, on my good days, I would say I'm, I'm coming to God as father. But a lot of times I'm like, ooh, it's, I'm drifting more towards the business kind of relationship. And here's kind of the dead giveaway. You'll, you'll, pray, you'll feel a lot of feelings of guilt, um, shame. Uh, you'll, you'll constantly feel like maybe you're not measuring up, like maybe God's frustrated with you or you're ready to give up. That's how you know you've slipped into treating God as if it's some sort of a business relationship. You're trying so hard to perform for him. That's when you know you really haven't grasped it but he's your father. Now, like I said, that doesn't mean that he doesn't want you to change. Certainly, God's more committed to you changing than anyone in the universe. Just means that that's not, the, that's not the terms of his relationship with you, that you must change or I won't love you. See, a business relationship says um, you need to perform in order to be accepted. Family relationship says you're accepted up front, and therefore, you should perform. You should do something. Right? You should be a good person. You should, you should be kind to everybody else in the family. So Jesus is saying up front, praying to your father means you're in this family relationship. And that's the big central theme of this passage. But Jesus goes on in this teaching to say praying to your father is going to mean some certain things about your approach to him. And he lines up, lines up four things for us to realize here, what it means to pray to our father. And the first thing it means, praying to our father, is that we come to him respectfully. Look at verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. You know, when you were a kid, did you ever get corrected on treating your parents more like a peer? You know, I had some friends, and I always found this, like, shocking. 
Or I had some friends that would actually call their parents by their first name. Any of you maybe do that or, or have friends that would do that? And it was just, like, weird. Like, you called your dad by his first name. Like, isn't that, aren't you going to get punished for that? Or, you know, it's like, that's, that's just too familiar. And most of the time, they would get corrected on that because, like, you're not supposed to treat your parents as if they're a peer. And sometimes I have to have a discussion with my girls about that now because they're getting older. And I'm like, look, I'm really glad that you're comfortable with me. I'm really glad that, like, we're, we're kind of morphing into that friendship as they get older. And eventually, as adults, then it, it will be more peer-to-peer, obviously. But right now, it's still really important that I'm their dad and that they approach me respectfully, that they, they maintain some of that proper um, authority boundary because I'm the authority in their lives, not the other way around. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. Coming to God as our Father in Heaven does not mean we come to Him flippantly or disrespectfully. There's an awe and a reverence for His name as we see here. Hallowed be your name. We realize that He's not just our Heavenly Father, but He's our great and cosmic soon-coming King, right? So there should be this attitude of, like, wonder and amazement that our great King, the great King of the universe, like Kimran mentioned, has actually adopted us into His family, and invited to us to call him Father. So there's this, there's this respect as we come to him in prayer as his children. That's the first thing we see. We pray respectfully. Secondly, we come to him to pray dependently. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. So he's saying, Give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, lead us not in temptation. There's lots of dependency here. And if there's one thing kids are great at, it's being dependent. Um, Eric knows that's even what they're called in the tax world, right? They're called dependents because nothing could be more true. Kids are completely 100% dependent on their parents for their physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. They can't really do anything on their own. Matter of fact, we're afraid to leave them for an hour or so uh, because the, them and the whole house would be burned down. You know, they're very, very dependent on us as parents. And as a kid, you probably have had this experience, or maybe now as a parent, you've had this experience too. Did you ever get to the point where you're just so mad with your parents and you're so fed up with their authority in your life that you said, you know what, I'm moving out. I'm running away. You ever do that? And uh, parents, if you haven't experienced this yet, it will. It'll happen. It's happened to us. And it's not that scary because there's a powerful force of nature bringing them back. And it's called hunger. And um, so by the, you know, usually they don't make it past the first block before their brain says, this is an awesome idea. Finally, we're free. This is going to be the best. We could do whatever we want. And then their brain says, wait a minute, where are we going to eat tonight? And where are we going to sleep? And then pretty soon, back down the road, there comes your kid. Because they're dependent on you. And obviously, that's one of the things that really stinks about being a kid. It's humbling to be a child. And obviously, this is one of the reasons why we try to get out of that dependency as we grow older. We want to grow into our own person. We want to get rid of the dependency, be self-sufficient. But guess what? That never, ever happens in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We never lose that dependency. We never get self-sufficient. We never grow up and move out of Dad's house. We, like, stay in his basement spiritually, really. We are always there, always needing him every single day for all of our needs. So a big part of prayer is just admitting that. In his book called Prayers Plainly Spoken, theologian Stanley Hauerwas prays about his struggle with this aspect of prayer, and I love this. He says, Dear Jesus, I confess I have never liked to pray. 
Prayer is too much like begging. So I have to pray that your generous spirit will teach me to beg. I like that. Harawas is right. The humility of a child is necessary to pray consistently because we acknowledge our need. And look at the need that Jesus tells us to acknowledge. First, we see the acknowledgement of our physical need. We're taught to ask God for our daily bread. So this harkens us back to the Old Testament and the Exodus story where God literally fed the children of Israel every day with manna. And how many days' worth of manna did God provide? 20? 30? One day, right? If they would pick up manna for more days, what would happen to it? It would rot. So it was like this daily lesson. You must depend on me. I want to keep you in this place, God was saying. Like, you will not get away from needing me. I love that lesson that Israel needed to learn, but we still need that now. So we'll pray for our physical needs. We're dependent on God for our physical needs. But also look at our spiritual need for forgiveness of our sins. You know, daily we accumulate sins. And so daily we need this washing of our sins. Obviously, Jesus has paid the price for all of our sins, past, present, and future. We come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm, I'm just as needy today as the first day I met you. I still need you to wash me and cleanse me of my sins today. It's a daily kind of thing. And then to lead us not into temptation. How many of you know you're weak when it comes to certain things, certain temptations? Like, you don't have that nailed down. And so you pray daily, like, God, please help me. Don't lead me into temptation. In fact, give me strength when I face that temptation. Sometimes I think God allows us to struggle with certain things, just like the Israelites needed manna every day. Is like, that keeps you dependent on me. God loves that. We're needy and dependent, and you'll never develop a really rich prayer life until you embrace that. Remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18? Two men go to the temple to pray. One's proud and Pharisee. He goes up front, and he's standing there. He's praying, oh, thank you, God. I'm not like this, this tax collector, and I'm awesome in all these different ways. And he's listing off his accomplishments to the Lord. And then there's the, the tax collector, and he just bows his face, and he beats his chest, and he just begs for mercy from God. And Jesus ends that parable with an astonishing punchline. He says, this one, the tax collector, went away justified and not the other. That's the person's prayers who gets heard, the person who's humble, the person who's dependent. In approaching God as Father, don't be afraid to be needy and dependent. God already knows you are, you know? So when we pretend like we're not, it's just silly. It's like your kids pretending like they're going to move out. Okay, good luck, you know? Yeah, you don't need me. I know. Good luck. God knows you're needy and dependent. So might as well admit it up front. So that's the second thing we pray dependently. Thirdly, we pray persistently. Look at verses 5 through 10. The picture Jesus uses here is of a friend who goes to his neighbor to borrow some bread. And this was a pretty common experience back then because um, travelers would travel. Obviously, they didn't have cell phones to say, hey, I'm going to show up here. You know, it's going to be like kind of late, so you mind having something ready? They didn't do that back then, so they would just show up at people's houses. And they would often travel at night because it was cooler then rather than traveling in the heat of the day. Well, it was extremely shameful to not have any food to give to your guests in that culture. And they didn't have grocery stores open at night. So the only option, since bread was baked daily, was to go to your neighbor and say, hey, I had some guests show up. Do you got any leftover bread from today that I can give to them? And Jesus' point here is saying, look, if your friend who's reluctant to get up and meet your needs 
is going to actually get up and meet your needs, which you will, how much more your heavenly father who isn't reluctant to meet your needs, who's excited about meeting your needs, how much more is he going to do it? He simply wants to see your persistence. Now, this is the part where I really don't understand God as father, um, that he longs to see persistence. Because how many of you parents in here love when your kids ask and 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 ask again and again? I'm not, I'm, I don't know about you, I don't love that. That's not one of my favorite things that I look forward to. Oh, I can't wait because the kids ask me for the same thing 20 times today. You know? Matter of fact, sometimes we get to the point where I'm like, ask me one more time. Just, you know, let's see what happens. Just ask me one more time. But God says the opposite here. I don't understand. He actually likes this dependency and persistent and encourages us to keep asking. I don't get it. But this is consistent with Jesus' other teachings on prayer. Think about the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18. Jesus says, God doesn't get tired of your asking. In fact, sometimes he waits to give you what you're asking just to see your persistence, which that sounds like torture to me. But sometimes he waits and he's like, I want to see you keep asking. And the only thing I can conclude from that is that what happens in the asking? Well, it's a really relational process, right? You're coming to him. You're sharing your heart with him. You're spending time with him, and he must enjoy that to such a degree that we just don't understand, that he even likes it when you're just asking him for the same thing over and over and over again. He never gets tired of it. So we pray persistently. That's the third thing. Fourthly and finally, we pray expectantly. We pray expectantly. When kids go to their parents, they go expectingly. They go hopefully, even to the point of being unrealistic. You know, our daughter, uh, our daughter Livia, I almost called her Olivia. She better not listen to this. She would kill me. But uh, our daughter Livia, she gets called Olivia a lot. Um, she has these, she makes these big requests. And I think sometimes she just does it to see my reaction because she's just having a little fun with me. But sometimes I genuinely think she just loves asking for these big things. So this past um, family vacation, we were just kind of discussing some ideas. We were just going to do a little staycation. I was like, hey, what sounds fun on family vacation this year? And she's like, ooh, can we go to Norway? <laughs> and I'm like, man, as a dad, you know, you've got to set the bar so high. I'm like, what do you think I do for a job? You know, like, I'm not a drug dealer. Like, we're not just flying to Norway tomorrow, you know. I, this, this is a staycation. Maybe we should explain what that means again. You know, we're staying kind of around here, but fun things around here in the U.S., but she had been, you know, studying Norway for a long time, and so it, we ended up getting her a book on Norway. It was great. She's, she's loving it. And, uh, <laughs> but, but she goes to me and asks for big things. And in some ways, I really like that she asked me for big things because it means that somehow she believes, number one, I really want to give her those things. And number two, I'll, if I can, if it's within my scope, if it's in my, within my ability, I'll try to do it. And that's true. Um, I have this, this pastor that I've listened to for years and years. I really admire him. He's got four boys. And I remember him talking about um, trying to get this concept of God wanting to meet our needs and actually being excited about it into his boys. And he said one of the things he would do, and I think this is something that his dad did, is that when his boys would come to him and be like, hey, dad, can I have five bucks? He would give him 20. And I'm like, as a Dutch guy, I'm like, wait, that doesn't make sense to me. 
You know, like, how do, how do we handle this? You know, how does that fit into the budget and things like that? But, but his whole point was, you know, as long as they're, you know, not using it for something that's going to harm them, like, I want them to know how badly I want to give them good things. And I want that to translate into what they think about their Heavenly Father. I thought that was just really cool that he was even thinking about my role in their life is having an influence in how they respond to God and how they come to him and what they think about him. And that's the big idea here is God wants us to come to him expectantly. He wants us to come to him expecting to get good things. He's our father after all. I mean, my kids will ask for crazy big things from me because they know I want to give it to them. As crazy as that sounds, I'm like programmed by it. I don't know if your parents have realized this, but like your kids make, any other kid in the world makes a request of you, you can just kind of blow it off. But your, your kids make a request of you and you're like, uh-oh, I want to do that. Even if you know like it's probably bad for them. Like, they want ice cream for breakfast. Yeah, I think that we could do that. You know, it's like, they, they, you want to give them what they ask. It's just programmed into you. And that's Jesus, that, you know, that's the big thing he's getting at. He's saying, look, you fathers, you long to give good gifts to your children. And you're evil. Like, you're broken. And you want to do all these good things for your kids. How much more your heavenly father, who's perfect, how much more does he want to give good things to his children when they need them? I was meditating on this this week and working on it in my own prayer life, and I decided to put it into practice um, because I, I find that I start praying for just the big things, right? I really want the war in Ukraine to end. I really want famine in East Africa to be over. And so I'm asking God for those big things, but I was reading um, Richard Foster's book on the discipline of prayer, and he was saying, like, look, as you're building your relationship with your father, ask for the little things, and then watch and see what happens. And use those little requests as ways to build your relationship. So my kids are in Arizona right now. My three girls are. And they're supposed to be flying back. And I needed to get their tickets changed so they could fly back with their grandma. And I was like, I really don't want to pay the ticket change fee. And um, so I, I said, all right. You know, I had already tried and sat on hold. Um, Allegiant, I think, has one person working for the whole U.S. on the phone. Um, so I had sat on, you know, for like hours while I was doing other work. And so on Friday morning, I was driving to a fishing tournament at like four in the morning. And I'm like, this would be the perfect time. Nobody else is calling now. And so I'm still on hold for an hour. And I just, I decided to pray about it. I was like, well, Lord, you're my father. And this is only 75 bucks, but this is a lot of money to me. Would you please allow me to actually get a hold of a person? And then would you allow them somehow to waive my fees, even though I didn't get trip flex? And sure enough, when I had like five minutes on this trip left, somebody picked up the phone, which I was like, miracle number one. Somebody picked up the phone. I had spent like five hours on hold with Elijah, and somebody finally picks up the phone. And then miracle number two, he said, yep, I can change your tickets, no problem. It's just going to be $75. And I was like, yeah, about that. Do you think you could change, do you think you could just waive that fee one time? And sure enough, he said, let me check on that. And he did. But not only that, I got cheaper flights on the way back. So he gave me a reimbursement for the flight. So now I have a credit to the next time we fly. I was like, man, this is the best day in the world for a Dutch guy. And uh, I'm going to pray a lot more. But then I was like, you know what, God? All right, I get this. I get this whole father thing. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to a fishing tournament, something I would probably not feel that comfortable praying about because it's like, of all the frivolous things in the world to pray about, you know, catching walleyes in a fishing tournament. But I said, hey, we could really use a good day. You know, we just haven't won anything this year. It'd be a great day to, to have, you know, a good day on the water. 
God gave us an opportunity to pray with some other boats before the tournament started. Everything was perfect. And I caught one of the biggest walleyes of my life, and we won the tournament by six pounds. I was like, what is going on here? My father loves me. Like, he's crazy about me. I'm telling you, start with the little things. Start with asking just simple things. Don't necessarily, I mean, you can ask for the big things too, but ask for little things because your father wants to give you good things. Tim Keller says he'll give you everything you would ask for if you knew everything he knows. So that doesn't mean he's going to give you everything, but he'll give you what's good for you. You know, uh, I've had a lot of those prayers over the years not get answered with a yes, but then you just trust, okay, well, I went to him. He's my father. He must have good reason for it. All right. Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So Jesus is telling us that we should pray expecting God wants to give us good things. And in fact, the best thing of all that he could give us is himself. That's the best thing. Like fishing tournament, cool. You know, change of fees, change of flight fees, cool. But the best thing that he could give us is himself. And look at how he's demonstrated that. God gave himself to us in Jesus completely, entirely. He held nothing back to meet all of our most desperate spiritual needs. And the giving didn't stop there. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent the promised Holy Spirit. And now he says, anyone who asks for that Holy Spirit can have the Holy Spirit. God's no respecter of persons. He says, yes, you can have the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is telling us that, look, you can be part of God's family today. You can call him Father today. He'll forgive you of your sins because of Jesus' death and resurrection, and he will give you the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are here today and maybe you're not a Christian, we would just love to welcome you into God's family today. We'd love to welcome you into the beginning of a prayer life with your Heavenly Father. And there'll be people up here to pray with you in just a moment. For the rest of those of us who are here today and are Christians, I'm guessing there's parts of this that you have down, kind of like me, and parts of this that you just haven't, it just hasn't made that long trip, you know, 18 inches from your head to your heart. And, and I'm asking, like, what, what needs to change for you to pray more consistently to your Father? If you're struggling with an approach to him that's cold or distant or just feels more like that business relationship, what needs to change in order to, for that to feel like a family relationship? One of the things I would encourage you, this is one key that I've found over the years, is that when you find something is interrupting your relationship with him, something, you just feel shame, or you just feel guilt, or you just feel like, man, I'm always not measuring up, I'm always coming to you trying, 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 and, ne and never, never cutting it for you, that you just talk to him about that. You know, he's your father, he wants to hear that too. So anything that's getting in the way of you and him, bring that to him, because then that obstacle becomes an opportunity to build the relationship with him. Whatever your struggle is, brothers and sisters, with prayer, the first step is coming as a needy little child to your heavenly Father who loves you dearly. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, what a gift that we can call you just that. That we're children of God, and so we are. And how great the love that you have lavished on us that we could call you that. How great the love you've lavished on us in Jesus, that we could be adopted into your family. Now, would you destroy the lie of the evil one? The lie that was so potent in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve that maybe you don't love us. Maybe you don't have our good in mind. Maybe, maybe you um, are against us. 
Would you destroy that lie of the evil one today by the power of the Holy Spirit? Help us to believe that we are children of our Father. We love you and we trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.